0: I wanna be free, I wanna be, free. wanna be free. I wanna be free. Yeah.
1: Welcome to Liberty Chats, produced by members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council. Thank you for joining us. We talk to a variety of experts, leaders, journalists, and policymakers about our nation's founding principles, why they are still so relevant and essential to preserving freedom for everyone, what specific challenges and threats they face today, and how those founding principles best safeguard and empower everyone's ability young and old, to attain prosperity and personal happiness.
0: Hi, my name is Solomon Chen. I'm a member of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council, and I'm here with Peter Lee Hamilton as our guest today for our Liberty Chats podcast. Peter is the founder and chair of Young Asian Pacific American Leaders, (YAPAL), which is a national civic engagement organization for Asian Pacific Americans. He's also the founder and lead organizer of the National Korean Student Alliance and the Korean Association President Summit which is a community organization for presidents of collegiate Korean student associations and organizations around the country. Good to have you, Peter. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little about yourself and your background and why you decided to found Nepal and Nepal's history.
2: Yeah, so I, I've always been interested in government, politics and civic engagement, um, even when I was in high school. I, I grew up in Washington state, and I was a member of the junior state of America there and actually went to the Boys State and Boys Nation program, which is a civic engagement program run by the American Legion for a chance to high school students to kind of learn about the United States government, how it operates and and how it works. So that's where it all began. And I highly recommend if any high schoolers listening to this to, to go and participate in the Boys State program. And then I went to school in DC. I went to Georgetown where I studied government and Being in DC, kind of seeing how the city works as a student and as a person who lives there was a great experience. Learning about the ways that people can get involved and impact the governmental process, it inspired me to want to continue to be involved even after I've left DC. I'm I'm now in Charlottesville, Virginia, pursuing a JDMBA at the University of Virginia. Um, But I I wanted to stay involved. And what led to the founding of YEPAL was during the summer of 2020, uh, obviously in the United States, that was a time of great sort of political discussion, uh, especially in the wake of the George Floyd uh, murder and then the riots. And uh, what we saw there was there were folks hosting a lot of online internet discussions about what was going on and a chance for Asian Americans to have a conversation. And what I had realized was a very specific narrative was being pushed with these Asian Americans. And I wanted to make sure that there was a chance for different uh conversations to be had that really embodied all the different perspectives that are part of the Asian American community um, were being had. That that people who believed in a more conservative vision uh, were able to have a space and have a conversation. That was kind of unrelated to the original impetus which was just oh these zoom calls that were happening to discuss the riots that were ongoing and how asian americans could get involved and participate that was one part of it um and and sort of realizing oh that this space can exist and that this is a very effective way to communicate and then realizing well on on another perspective there's also a chance for conservative asian americans to get together to be active as political voices to influence our communities and the people around us and and the relevant party that we're interested in affecting. And so while that was the impetus, then that became a larger movement as we decided to coalesce around the idea of, okay, we can gather together, we can build fellowship and community, and hopefully we can support each other as we pursue our relevant careers. Yeah, definitely. I think it's great that
0: 2020 was, uh, 2020 is definitely a year where a lot of these discussions were happening and and brought to the forefront, the national sphere. Um, can you talk a little bit about even the term Asian-American and the political history behind that term? Um, I saw recently an exit poll for 2020 said that 63 percent of Asian-Americans voted for Biden, roughly. Um, talk a little bit about the political history of Asian-Americans and particularly within the conservative movement.
2: Yeah, the Asian-American community is is very it's a very interesting one to study because it's it's very young comparatively from an immigration standpoint. Obviously, we had uh, Asian Americans in the United States throughout the history of the country, right? There's very famous for helping build the, the railroads and things like that, or being uh, in California, for example. But due to the Chinese Exclusion Act, um, we actually didn't see a modern wave of mass immigration from East Asia specifically until the 1970s, 1980s, um, and so for example, most Asian Americans today that I've met, including my family, my mother is a first-generation immigrant who arrived in the United States, I believe, in the 1970s. And, and if you talk to a lot of Asian Americans, that's that's when their families arrived. So we're a very young immigrant community, uh, which is unique compared to, for example, on my father's side, like I'm Irish American, and they came to the United States. So, you know, one half came in the 1900s, but another came in the 1800s, right? And so. As a community, uh, that's we're young from a from an American perspective. Politically, the way that that's manifested is very interesting because I believe in two thousand, American uh, Asian Americans actually voted uh, more for George Bush, um, and so we were majority Republican. And since then, there's been a big shift, right? And and I think a, a part of that is because the Democratic Party has been doing a lot of outreach to the Asian American community. And we have a ongoing discussion and debate around the concept of identity politics in this country. Um, And Republicans historically have just been more reticent to participate in that conversation. Um, And and also they've just been more reticent to talk about it. It's just not something that they really want to focus on as a voter issue. Um, And in that sense, I think, the Asian-American community is one of the fastest growing groups in the United States. It's going to continue to grow. And if the Republican Party wants to stay competitive, I think it's a community that they're going to have to pay attention to.
0: Definitely, definitely. And you mentioned that term identity politics, which is definitely a huge, um, hot topic right now and probably will continue to be throughout uh, American culture, definitely in the next presidential cycle. Um, but talk a little bit about how, that's, how that term develops and even how you strike that balance between celebrating kind of diverse life experiences of Americans while also celebrating that unity that we all have.
2: Yeah, I think it's actually one of the most critical issues facing our country today. And it's one that we don't talk about enough, especially conservatives don't talk about enough. I have friends who say they don't wanna participate in identity-based groups because they are an American first and that's the most important part of their identity. And they don't wanna be divided by you know, a construct like race or ethnicity. And I understand that. I think there, there's, in, in a perfect world, we wouldn't do that and we wouldn't have to. Um, and, and so for a long time, when I was talking to people in the Republican party, they say, we don't play identity politics. We don't want um, people to, to, to appeal to people just because of the color of their skin or, or their ethnicity or, or, or their religion. But obviously, uh, the Democratic Party has been very willing to play identity politics and to reach out to people specifically because of, of their race and to make targeted asks. And my philosophy has always been if you don't if you don't put troops on the battlefield, you'll lose. If you don't conduct specific targeted outreach to communities, you will lose. And a way to very efficiently conduct outreach to sub-communities is by playing identity politics. It's by sending a person who speaks Korean into a Korean community or a person who speaks Chinese into a Chinese community, right? There's there's all these different subgroups, and, and they're waiting for people to reach out and contact them. And if you don't contact them, you'll lose their vote because the other team will reach out to them, and, and then they'll talk to them, and hopefully they'll represent them. But, um, but, but they're the only ones reaching out. And... So you know there's there's a couple different ideas swirling around, and I don't think as a nation we've we've made a decision about how we want to do this. But we used to talk about the United States as a melting pot, which is everyone comes in, and then you assimilate to what it means to be an American. And then the kind of new idea is, oh, we have a fruit salad. like you 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 get tossed in, you get all mixed up, but you're still kind of unique to to your thing. Like the tomato is not part of the lettuce. Um, And I I don't um, think we, as a country, have made a decision about one, which one do we want to be and which one is better. Um, Obviously, I think on the more progressive side, there are much bigger believers in the fruit salad. Um, At the same time, part of the danger of identity politics, which I don't think we address enough, is that, yes, it allows us to target communities and provide them very specific help that they might need. At the same time, it also... Uh, It also splits communities because it highlights the differences and it says you are different because of X factor value. You are different because you are Asian. Um, You're being targeted because you are Asian, things like that. And and that can be if it's not if that's not accurate, that's very dangerous because it engenders a feeling of distrust. It uh, it creates a community where folks want to separate themselves and want to siphon themselves off from the rest of society. And, And that can be very harmful. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, I think I definitely agree in terms of
0: striking that, the different discussions and narratives that are still I think being unpacked um, within our culture and media and uh, the way that we're discussing kind of the role that different ethnic groups and particularly Asian-Americans uh, play within political culture. Um, talk a little bit about how conservative values fit into Asian-American ethnic identity. Um, at CBO Institute, we talk a lot about how America's founding principles uh, of liberty and kind of individual rights how they can be channeled and reach all people. Um, so, talk a little bit about how you came to be a conservative and how you see those values mapping onto the Asian American community.
2: Definitely, I, I think there's a in terms of a Venn diagram, there's a lot of overlap. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about the similarities and then maybe a little bit about the differences if we have time. Uh, in terms of similarities, I think. Um, Socially, it's a very conservative community, or historically has. The new generation is entirely different. I don't. I I think they're very Americanized, and and they have different perspectives. But the immigrant community that we've talked about—I mean—they're very much about business. They're very much about individual individual liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and property. Uh, A lot of them run businesses. A lot of them are entrepreneurs and small business owners. Um, and, And the parts of the social values that are related to respect for culture, respect for your ancestors, respect for your family, Uh, the more Confucian ideals of filial piety. I think those are very, those are regardless of Republican or Democrat, those are conservative values, right? They're about preserving the traditions and the rituals that exist within a society and within one's family. And in and of itself, that is a very conservative value. And I think for me, it's interesting because I grew up, right. I'm biracial. I grew up in a, in a mixed culture family, but that was something that was important to both sides of my family was respecting your parents. Um, having, being involved in a church was a, was a big thing. A lot of Asian Americans are are very Christian. Um, and and also being uh, somebody who does good things within your community, cleans up after themselves, leaves this place better than they found it. Uh, things like that. I think those are all very conservative. You add in the small business ownership there. And I think that, Value-wise, and we're seeing this a lot with the Latino community, value-wise, the Asian American community shares a lot of values with more conservative groups like the Republican Party. Uh, The differences that I think are interesting and that I don't think we've studied enough are, you know, you mentioned individual liberty. A lot of Asian societies are much more collectivist. They're much more focused on the community first and the individual second. And I'd say you can contrast that with parts of the American society that are focused on the individual first and the community second. And when you see those two things uh, in tension, uh, you know, they're, Japan and Korea are very interesting societies um, and they're very successful. Uh, obviously, they're having a bit of a fashionable pop in the United States at the moment, but they're also very different from the United States. And I think that that's a, a topic of, I'm curious as to see how that interacts Going forward just because of that collectivism versus individualism and there are parts of the collectivism that are very nice where it makes people clean up after themselves, it makes the streets very clean it makes people want to, you know, follow the laws and be good citizens. But there's also parts of individualism that are really nice, which is uh, it preserves liberty, it protects people being able to say I want to do what I want to do and society can't tell me otherwise. And so I'm curious to see how that interacts going forward within the Asian-American community, which is operating at the intersection of those two belief systems.
0: Where do you see in this upcoming midterm cycle and potentially presidential cycle in 24, um, where do you see, how do you see Asian-Americans playing a role um, within kind of the national sphere in terms of elections and representatives? Um, Last year, or last cycle in 2020, we had Young Kim and Michelle Steele, two representatives from California, both Korean-American Republicans, who actually were some of the first Republicans to unseat a House Democrat in California in, I think, 20 plus years. Um, Do you think that this is a trend that we can see more kind of shifting in terms of representation, but also just Asian-American conservatism? Um, Or do you think that was, yeah, what do you see that trend happening for the next
2: cycles? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, which is we're going to see more of that happening just because the Republican Party is growing, it's developing, it's maturing, it's realizing that um, you can't have a party that represents one demographic in the United States and be successful, it has to be diverse. We saw in Texas that Latino women were the most successful in unseating Democratic candidates, and so I, I think we're going to see continued representation of Asian American in the conservatives here. That that is going to continue to grow as a larger subgroup. I don't know if we're going to see significant movement in the next to four years. Uh, It might be 10 years, 20 years before we start seeing a shift the way we're seeing with the Latino community. Uh, If we want to see that happen, if conservatives are interested in in moving in that direction, I think we're going to need a lot more infrastructure. Um, The Asian-American conservative community, there's just no infrastructure for community outreach specifically. That's one of the reasons I founded YAPAL was, okay. I want to create a space where we can reach out to young Asian-American leaders who are conservative foster them help them pursue their careers help them help help them find success if that's in politics that's great if that's in something else that's also good um and and so until the party and individuals start dedicating resources towards that i think we're going to see very slow movement on a large demographic scale at the individual scale with candidates and individuals involved in in partisan politics i think we're going to continue to see success now that the the sort of, uh, we've taken the first step with young Kevin and Michelle Steele. They're they're great, very powerful stories about immigrant women, you know, first generation uh, Asian American women who came to the United States and then ran for office. And so with them leading the way, I think we're going to see a lot of people following up on that. Um, And I hope that the community follows too. You mentioned that point about
0: infrastructure. And can you talk a little bit about how Yapal is hoping to build that up, and what the daily activities um, of Yapal are, and where you see the organization growing.
2: Yeah, so Yapal is an interesting case study because we've we've changed over time, and uh, it, it started when I I reached out during the Trump administration to all the commissioners on the President's Advisory Commission on APIs, and I said, "Hey, I have an idea. It should be a national organization for Asian American conservatives, kind of a way to really." Um, build up the community and everybody said oh this is a good idea um but i don't have the time to run something like that right now and and one of the commissioners she said to me she said hey peter i'll support you but start something start you build it build it yourself uh start with your friends and see what you can do and so originally it was more of like a grassroots type organization where we were having individuals who anybody who was interested in politics and asian american could join essentially and and participate and, and kind of have that conversation And what we realized was there's a need for an organization like that, but we didn't have the bandwidth to effectively organize a group like that. And what its new transition is, it's a mentorship, fellowship, and professional networking organization for young Asian American leaders. And the goal there is for folks who, um, folks who are driven in their careers, they wanna pursue success, and they're interested in finding a community with fellow Asian American conservatives, that's the group now. It's not necessarily all in on politics. that that's an aspect of the community, but that's not the sole motivator anymore. And so what I see paul doing now is fostering and creating a space for leaders, helping them become better leaders, helping them connect with each other so that in their later careers, when they're pursuing different endeavors they can they can support one another. I think there's a need, there's a hole uh, for a national Asian American group that specifically is about advocating for the Asian American community to conservative groups and and from a conservative perspective. Um, That does not exist at the moment. Uh, And and I think that that's gonna be an important thing for us to to build if we wanna grow stronger as a community.
0: Yeah, and I love that approach in terms of, we talk about how culture shifts and how beliefs are be able to um, be spread and and told different people groups who may not be exposed to it. And I think that happens through people being placed in different aspects and, and buckets of life, whether it's thankfully not everyone uh, who's, who's important needs to be in Washington, D.C., on Capitol Hill, you have people in business, you have people in media, people in churches, et cetera. So I think it's definitely great to form that infrastructure, of that network um, to have that outreach. And in kind of in closing, what are some ways that people can support Paul or get involved? In Nepal if um, you're listening on the podcast, maybe you are an Asian American or you're looking to support these kind of infrastructure, um, uh, movements for the conservative party. Um, can you talk a little bit about how to support Paul?
2: Yeah, so I think the best way to do that would be to go to our website. I just wanna make sure I have the right URL, org. There is a uh, an application for those who are interested in joining. If you're interested in financially supporting our organization, just reach out through the website. We'll happy to have a conversation about what we do and and ways we can put those resources to use. Um, we're a young organization, we're looking to grow. And so if you're interested, please reach out. And, uh, you know, this is just a great opportunity to kind of talk about the work that we do, but then also to hopefully help our community. That is the end goal. So another way you can help out is just be a leader in your community. Participate, go out, vote, um, and, and make your voice heard. And even if you don't join our organization, that's still the way to support us. Great, thank you so much, Peter. Thanks all.
1: Thank you for listening to today's Liberty Chat. I'm Erica Anderson, the producer of the podcast. Our podcast editor is Fingers Malloy. My co-producers include Charlotte Whalen, Zachary Rogers, Lindsay Martin, and Christina Eastman, all members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council, who represent the next generation of free market free speech leadership. We hope you tune in again for our next Liberty Chat episode. Freedom.
0: Own oh. all my mistakes, girl. You already know. I wanna be, wanna be free. I wanna be, free. Free. I wanna be free. Yeah.